So this is really cool. And this is a big departure for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast because normally I'm talking to people who work in business, but not show business. And as everybody knows, there's no business like show business. And I'm talking with Timothy R. Hughes, which if I were talking to anyone from Actors Equity, I would have to say Timothy Hughes, correct? Correct. Equity, SAG after all of them. Well, and names are a huge deal in show business for an obvious reason, especially when it comes to film and stuff like that. There are people who can't have their own names anymore because someone had them in the 1930s or something like that. And so they go by something totally different. And you know, like for people who talk about businesses with your other guests, you know, in show business, our business name is our name. Yeah. So it's really important. That's one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast. And let me just do a little intro to our introduction, which is via the inimitable Molly Mahoney. Now, anyone who's listened to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast knows that Molly's one of my favorite guests because when I met her initially, I thought, are you on crack? And then I realized, no, she's just high on life in a big, big way. And when we started talking, it ended up that we had a connection because I'm here in Wisconsin right now, which, by the way, it is now eight degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, gosh. Good old Wisconsin. And it ended up that Molly had worked at the Fort Atkinson Fireside Theater, which is a local actors equity professional theater, musical theater in the round. And I had been there multiple times. And, you know, so that was really interesting. And the last time I had her on the podcast, she said, oh, you should talk to Tim because he's from Brookfield. And I'm like, Brookfield? My dad used to live just off Moreland Road over by Brookfield Square. So this is all homey talk here, but it's a it's for a good sure. Way. That's right by me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's just a great way of saying we know where each other comes from. The other mm-hmm. thing is. I found out that Tim is six foot seven inches tall. And for the first time in my life, I felt short because I'm six foot three plus some change. But let me tell you, I've been around six foot seven guys and I feel Lilliputian. And but that hasn't stopped you, man. If anything, that's propelled your career forward. And I really want to talk about that. But first, let me give you a few seconds to introduce yourself. Tim Hughes, a kid from Brookfield, Wisconsin. How do you end up on the Broadway stage in what currently, even though it's not running, is the hottest show on Broadway, Hades Town? How did that happen? Oh my gosh, there are a lot of elements that go into how that happened. I wish that there was a formula, but you know, there is a there is a magical ingredient of luck involved in all of it. But I won't sell myself too short. There was a lot of hard work and determination and drive to get me to where I am in my career, in my life. I was driven across country and dropped off in the middle of New York to go to NYU. I studied drama there and I was really determined to get a degree and to get a foundation of training, which I did from that program. And then I I just hit the ground running and and I went in for everything. And I was trying to just introduce myself to this industry. And when I was in college, I'd been told by a lot of people that being the height that I was, it was going to be a difficult, maybe like first 10 years. I remember somebody told me, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard for you to work in your 20s. And I was like, that's a whole decade of, of <laughs> work that I would need to have in order to survive to get to my 30s. So luckily... I always had uh, both an athleticism and a musicality from my upbringing. My dad was 6'8". He played basketball in college. 
my mom originally from my dad's from Wausau, Wisconsin. My mother's from Kimberly, Wisconsin. She grew up singing and I had kind of both roads going for me and they finally merged and I brought this sense of athleticism into my performance and into my dance and kind of my business, my identity of who I am in this industry. So I danced a lot and I found a really unique niche where I could read older and understudy other roles in, in a show and then dance in the ensemble to start off. And that's how I first worked with Molly Mahoney and met her was um, we went on the road with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and we danced together and I understudied one of the roles. And we had a similar connection because her husband, JD, is from Milwaukee. So we hit, we hit it off great. But from there, I had made a name for myself. And I think what I have learned, which is what eventually launched this business I'm currently running, is that I'm never going to be able to hide from the fact that I'm the height that I am, that I'm the unique person that I am. Instead of fearing that, like I did in the onset of my career, I finally made a shift into embracing it and to really highlighting it and kind of exploiting it for the entire industry so that everybody could also start seeing it as an advantage. And it was something that made me really unique so that a boy from, you know, Wisconsin with some talent and drive, like started to stand out and people started gravitating towards what I offered and, and including me in their shows and including me in the development of productions. And that has brought me a tremendous amount of consistency in my work and an amazing uphill trajectory in my career that I'm super grateful for. Well, you just hit on something that really excites me because I knew we were going to have a really interesting conversation about your career and how it got started and all that stuff. And I want to talk to you about Performers Puzzle, which is your online business enterprise community that you're creating. But you said something that is so integral to the whole nonfiction brand philosophy and practice, which is you are you. You have to be completely true, completely you, and create a brand, a personal brand around that so that people know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And ultimately, because of that, they know why they should engage with you, mm -hmm. whether it's in the audition space for an actor like you, whether it's in a clinic space like you're doing with Performers Puzzle, all these things, because you're being true to who you are, completely true to who you are, these opportunities are coming to you. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, the opportunities that are coming to Tim Hughes. I'm looking at a Los Angeles Times article online with a headline that reads, a breakout star of Town and the chorus boys who steal the show. And it's all about this six foot seven actor in the show's five person ensemble, Timothy Hughes. And I love this quote that you gave the L.A. Times. My dresser told me, check the message boards, check Twitter. There's a lot of chatter. Hughes said of when he caught wind of the attention. People at the stage door were telling me I've never seen so much discussion about one individual ensemble member and you totally met all my expectations. Holy cow. I mean, that, that, that's just incredible. And, and the whole thing is, the thing you need to know about Town is this, this exciting Tony Award-winning musical. And Tim is a member of the ensemble. Now, can you describe for listeners what an ensemble member is as opposed to the big leads of the show? Yeah, so traditionally in a show, in a musical, the ensemble would be the kind of featured characters that aren't the named characters that are integral to the plot. They often are expected to do the singing, the dancing. Sometimes they step into a small cameo role here and there. 
but for the most part, they're the unnamed characters of a show. And they can range in size, depending on I mean, old school musicals have really large ensembles. And even older school musicals used to have ensembles of just the singer ensemble and then the dancer ensemble. Nowadays, the expectation is that you can excel in both. They are the unsung heroes of every show. They like, you know, they, they really hold it together. And oftentimes from the ensemble, those people also understudy and cover the principal role. So they help maintain the show running eight times a week when certain principal actors have to go out or are sick or, you know, life happens. And I actually, crazily enough, was in a principal part, or originated a principal part in Frozen on Broadway. And I had worked on it for just under two years. And I left that to go do Town, which was a risk for me because I was like, oh, this is a principal part going to ensemble. Some might see this as a step down, but it wasn't. It was the right decision that I, that I kind of made because I was seeking more artistic fulfillment from an experience. And working on a show like Disney's Frozen for two years was wonderful, but it was difficult. And I was my character was on the chopping block a lot because it was reinterpreted from the movie to the musical. So it was a, a tumultuous process that I'm super grateful and I learned a lot from, but I wanted something that was going to be different. And this this world of Town came up and I went into an ensemble track and out of nowhere, I think it's because it just was a really good fit. Like the aesthetic of the world has to do with, you know, the ensemble is called the workers. So there's like a um, very um, approachable, actually our d director talks about having kind of a Midwest quality yeah. um, to these workers, like hard workers who would go to a bar and have like a beer at the end of their week and just a very grounded, uh, like of the earth quality that they wanted to encapsulate the, the ensemble. So it was a really good fit. And then the world of where the choreographer was from, his inspirations as a dancer really aligned with my background as a dancer. So the aesthetic of movement just really worked. He was often inspired by these big murals of like workers and like Diego Rivera murals that you that see you might see in the museum. And when he saw me, he was like, you, your body looked like you stepped out of one of those murals. So right. it was a really good fit. And as a result, when all of that, all of that combined with my height and with a small pared down ensemble, all of a sudden it just like, I stood out in a way that I had never anticipated. There's really no way to ever have known that, that people were gravitating towards me until I started hearing it. Because it is such a collaborative show. You know, so many of us are on stage for almost the entire time that people like just hook into certain aspects of the show and certain characters. And the fact that worker number five was one of them was just an amazing surprise. Oh man. But you're making my point, which is that based on who you are, what you do and how you do it, meaning I'm a, a six foot seven guy who's pretty big in the show. You've got a massive beard and you know, you stand out like this, I, I don't know, Norse God sore thumb. And there's actually a line in the L.A. Times article that I love, which is a quote from Benton Whitley, one of the casting directors of the show, where they said, in a traditional musical, there may be concern about uniformity. And what they mean is the ensemble members generally are the same height, the same type, the same size, you know, down to shoe sizes for crying out loud, because half the time you'll have to switch costumes or whatever. It's the Rockettes aesthetic, you know, it's, yeah, the, it's, yeah. the, you know, it's the kick line aesthetic. Yeah. Well, in this case, they didn't go for that. 
And what that allowed you to do was be exactly who you are, the way you are, and that allowed your personal brand. I'm going to turn it around to personal branding. It allowed you to personally brand yourself out of the ensemble into someone worthy of a feature article in the Los Angeles Times. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. That allowed you to to take your personal brand out of what should be this, I'm going to use the word cogs, five cogs that are replaceable members of the ensemble into now you're a featured performer. And the whole thing is you look exactly like you look in real life, as opposed to when you played Pavi. Was it Pavi and Frozen where you're yeah, kind of all charactered up with makeup and everything like that? I do have to say though, I was given the opportunity to like, it was, it was a good kind of perfect storm of like, I had done the greatest showman. I had come from a, a big named Broadway show as a principal part. So it was, there was a lot of momentum that, that put me into this position because the thing is every one of us in the ensemble is known as an individual from that show. And right. people know us by name because we have been given the opportunity from the world that was created, from our director, from our producers down, to bring such a tremendous amount of ourselves to a performance. It's a great lesson for how they created a really successful Broadway show. And I think, I hope people continue to learn from that and follow in that formula moving forward. But I think outside of theater, it's a, it's a great lesson. Like when you give people the opportunity to really bring a tremendous amount of themselves, their unique selves to their work, and you trust in that, they're going to bring something more magical. Yeah, let me translate what you just said into my language, which is <laughs> when you allow people to develop and promote and communicate their personal brands within your business, you actually get more from those people because their personal brands will raise the tide on both their brand boat and your business's brand boat. And it literally is a rising tide that makes you both float higher, if you will, for lack of a better metaphor. But it's true. I, I think that's a an effective metaphor. The rising of the tide is a great metaphor. For yeah. It. Well, and I want to point out one of the things that you kind of glossed over, but I want to hone in on, which is that you took a big risk and made a big choice to leave one of the biggest, most recognizable names on Broadway frozen. For crying out loud, if you have children under the age of 10, you know that thing by heart because you've had to watch it over and over and over again. And you had a principal role in there that you originated. Do you know how many actors would never step back down into an ensemble role after that position? I mean, they, they may never have a name position in a, another role like that again, but their egos would not let them to perceptively or what some might perceive is take it down a gear. Yep. It was a conscious decision. Yeah, I, it was, I, had, I was with new representation. We discussed it. 
it was also an amazing opportunity to cover what is perceived as the title character. You know, Hades in Hades Town right. holds a lot of weight. And Frozen, critically, it was interesting because I anticipated the response to Frozen, the show, to my career, to be very different. And I realized it has its own reputation. And I knew that this director, Rachel Trafkin, she was coming off a show that had so much authenticity and legitimacy as real theater in the musical theater world. Yeah. So I knew what that could do for me as an actor in that show. It's, it, you know, a, a Broadway credit is a great legitimizer. It's a big stamp of approval. Like you are now Broadway's you for the rest of your life. Right. But then once you reach that, that echelon, it's how, how is it distinguished? And if you're just in shows that are Disney, some people might not see that as a legitimate, as legitimate of a credit. Um, that's not real theater, even though how I as an actor do one thing is how I do everything. But being in a show with Rachel Trafkin, who I knew had graduated from NYU, where I graduated, I knew our approaches to theater would, would be aligned and that she would create a world that would be like true to the heart of really great theater in my mind. So that's something I knew I wanted to be a part of. And it, it paid off for sure. You're kind of referring to what actors know is the, the snobbery of theater. And you don't know this, but my degrees in theater, I went to get my MFA at USC in Los Angeles, did not finish that's a whole story because <laughs> when I was in college, one of my advisors said when they knew I wanted to get a master's degree, they said, pick a coast. And I didn't pick a coast, but I auditioned and got accepted at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. So I went west and don't do that if you love theater, mm. you know, I know, seriously. I know. <laughs> and I love theater so much so that I don't go to it because if I'm not, if I see a great show and I'm not in it, I'm depressed. And if I see a bad show, I can't stand it. So yeah, yeah, that's the kind of snobbery I'm talking about, because what you're saying is, yeah, Frozen, huge hit. Everybody in Wisconsin has heard of it, but actors in New York look down on it like, are you OK? That's like doing a show at Wisconsin Dells for, you know. And directors and casting directors, the entire industry kind of looks at it differently. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so what you yeah. did was you kind of backed up your bus a little bit to take a different road that was perhaps a little bit harder, but was completely true with the actor you are, the performer you are, the human being you are, the artist that you are, and it's paying off. And there's so much I want to talk to you about, especially your performers puzzle community and stuff like that. But we are getting close to the end of this episode, and I want to let people know how they could contact you or follow you on social media. Tim, is there a channel on social media that you're most active in or that is the best place for people to get to know who you are? Yeah, I'm on Instagram as Timothy R. Hughes. I also uh, had created and am running the online platform Performers Puzzle, which is at Performers Puzzle, all one word. And on Facebook, my business page is Timothy Hughes and Performers Puzzle. I combined them. Either one of those would be an amazing way to stay in touch with me. Well, and I will tease this too, because we haven't really touched on it, but if you're a fan of the... Um, greatest Showman. Great. Oh, thank you. And I, I apologize. I haven't seen it. I know uh, it. I know. I, I, I kid you not. 
As but a anyway. theater lover? Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I said I love theater so much that when my daughter stumbled across Hamilton through, you know, she was, uh, I, I think, a sophomore in high school. She stumbled across it. She said, Dad, Dad, you got to listen to this. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't like anything. <laughs> and then I stumbled across Lin-Manuel Miranda at the White House doing just the opening number. Yeah. And my, my fillings fell out of my teeth. <laughs> because that is the type of theater that gets me excited. That's the yeah. type of just... <gasps> I've just seen the voice of God or heard the voice of God. So anyway, we're going to be talking more about The Greatest Showman because, you know, we, we got to touch on what it's like to work with people like Hugh Jackman. Who else is in that cast? Zendaya, Michelle Williams, Zac Efron. It was a stellar cast with some amazing. And besides the, the name characters, the ensemble of that world was incredible. Um, amazing performers and dancers. Uh, some of my nearest and dearest friends. Well, I definitely want to hear some of those stories, but what I really love about the conversation we had today was that you pointed out the risk-taking that is aligned with exactly who you are as an individual. I don't view that as a risk. I view that as a leap of hope that's based mm. on knowledge about who exactly you are. You took that leap when you went from Brookfield, Wisconsin to New York City to NYU you took that leap into the very competitive world of Broadway musicals. I see that you've also done some feature work and stuff like that beyond The Greatest Showman. I mean, it's all happening for you. And by the way, that person who said you weren't going to work for the first 10 years of uh, your career, what do you have to say to that person? Well, she did help hire me for Frozen. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it all works out in the end. It all worked out. I was in my 30s, but it's that same woman. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's wonderful. And yeah. I, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to talk to you, Tim Hughes, of Frozen, of The Greatest Showman, of Hades Town, and of The Performer's Puzzle, which we'll be talking about more in next week's episode. But for now, this is the end of this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. Don't worry, Tim will be back next week. And I'd love for you to like, subscribe, refer, and review it to others because that helps other people find this podcast. Until then, I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and he is... Tim here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>